Hello, everyone, and welcome to Flawless, a music podcast, just in case you are in the wrong place. My name is George, and I am joined by my two co-hosts, Liam. Hello, everybody. And Grant. Hello there, music fans. Each episode, one of our hosts, today it's me, nominates an album that they think is flawless and we talk about why they love it and what we love about it and at the end we decide if we unanimously agree that it's flawless. We have a Patreon. You can back us from as little as a dollar a month and no matter how much you back us for, you'll get loads of special bonuses um, of us doing all sorts of nonsensical things and that is patreon.com slash flawlessamp. And we are also part of the Play On Radio Network, along with other great music podcasts like Australian Jams, Not Local and Uncovered. So check out playonradio.live for all the shows. And we have a place for us all to join together in unity and discuss mm. the episodes. We have a Flawless Family and Friends group on Facebook, and you can find a link to that in this show's notes. So... What my I know, right? So modern. We're going to connect mm. with everybody. So what is uh, this Facebook thing. This, it's it's for the young people. Uh, oh. Actually, no, it's not even for the it anymore. Used to that's, be. No, not that's anymore. TikTok. Yeah, TikTok. No, no, it's definitely not. Yeah, it's TikTok for young people, and I don't understand it, which is why I definitely know it's for young people. Um, so today it's me. I get to nominate an album. So oh, I have what nothing. a privilege. I know, right? So uh, <laughs> I nominated an album that came out in August of 1994, and it is Jeff Buckley, Grace. so good to finally say that out loud <laughs> wow. so well done, George. i have to say i have to ask you both the classic question grant had you heard jeff buckley or the album grace before no forgive me say for hallelujah yeah mm-hmm. i wouldn't and i wouldn't have known um it was jeff buckley specifically um, may have heard the name, certainly obviously knew Hallelujah or heard Hallelujah, um, and not necessarily from, from, from Cohen's side. So, uh, no, I hadn't heard of heard the album Grace or that or associated Jeff with uh, Hallelujah. So, no. <laughs> Liam. <laughs> yeah, Liam. I, I definitely knew of him. Um, I knew of this album. I've never heard the album, but I know all about it. I know it's got a, like a really iconic status. And I know, as it turns out, I know most of the, I knew most of the songs on it as we were going through. So, <laughs> Grace, Last Goodbye, So Real, Lover, You Should Have Come Over. I knew all of them. So it was like, yeah, I, there, there wasn't a lot to, wasn't a lot of surprises on there. But um, 
Yeah. Two of the songs. I mean, how'd you heard of them, Liam? I'm, I'm, I'm interested. From, well, from... So he's a huge Triple J icon guy. So he, in 1995, the, the Hottest 100 of 1995, Last Goodbye came in at number 14 and Grace came in at number 89. And then oh, ev- wow. ever since then, anytime they have like Hottest 100s of all time or any of that sort of stuff, um, Last Goodbye and Hallelujah has sort of caught up as well, has always featured really highly as well. So... Definitely, that was right in that age spot when I was coming through and starting to learn about music. I never hugely got into it at the time. I knew he was there and I knew he was really good, but I, yeah, hadn't listened to the album before. Ah, oh, so you, when you listen to it, you're like, oh, I know this one. Oh, I know yeah. this one. And I, and I knew okay. that, I even knew the titles and everything as well. Like, I, yeah, I, it, this felt very familiar for most of the, for most of it. So it would have been odd that there were so many of them all on the same album. Yeah. Because this is the only album that Jeff Buckley was able to make in mm. his lifetime well, sadly even lover you should have come over i could have sworn was on the next album so that was that was a bit of a surprise that it was actually on this one and not on the next one because it's not a single it yeah was a B-side. i think it was a mm. b-side um but yeah it, that's fair enough oh interesting um okay so so how were... george come on in 1994 yep. You are like, what, 10? Four years old. I was not. Oh, you you charmer. (laughs) No, I wasn't. I was nine years old and uh, CDs were becoming a real thing. Um, And uh, my one of my parents bought this album. So um, it came in at number 31 at the UK charts. So um, it uh, was purchased and I used to love pouring through the CDs and vinyl, as you know, when I was a kid. So um, I saw this Jeff Buckley cover um, and I kind of, and I took it out. I know I'd seen it lying around, so I knew that my parents had listened to it. But um, I just had this like memory of taking it out and going, it looks like a Tom Waits cover. Mm-hmm. And I already knew that I liked Tom Waits because I was a strange nine-year-old. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was like, um, like I, I just looked at it and there's this guy who looks a bit disheveled in his kind of pseudo-50s um, stance, yeah. like huddled over a, an old microphone and I was like, and kind of covering his face. Um, and I was like, okay, well, that will be interesting. So um, I put it on and was instantly uh, hooked on that kind of dreamy beginning um, with Mojo Pin. So mm-hmm. I was like, that's really cool so i just kind of listened to that and and then when grace started the song um the guitars in that just struck me so strongly as like a nine-year-old little girl that um i couldn't i was just obsessed i was just obsessed with that sound i was was obsessed with it and that was and i was completely hooked Mm. but then you were talking about hallelujah um and i um got to hallelujah on the album and so we're talking it's track six so i've already got through loads of songs um that i was like that sounds like nina simone just to find out it was like oh it isn't nina simone did sing that with lila Gwine. And, yeah. and then i got to um hallelujah and i was like oh i have heard this but i've been trying to make myself not like it because i felt like i was cheating on leonard cohen Right. So mm-hmm. I was oh. nine years old and feeling like, oh no, this is a Leonard Cohen song and somebody else has you done a can't version like of it. it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm not allowed to like it. I'd um, love to. Yeah, because I was like, why would you do it? You're covering Leonard Cohen. Um, but mm. then, but I was like, and also like, I really liked it. 
Mm. I, I genuinely really liked the song. Um, so uh, I had this, uh, I've got this really strong memory of like listening to this CD on my own and having these kind of, oh my God, these guitar riffs. Conflict, and, oh my goodness, internal think, conflict with Hallelujah conflict about, Yeah, exactly. So it was like, um, it was a real journey uh, to get through this album when I was a kid. And so um, I held on to it as being like an album that was important to me. And then we're talking 10 years later, the Legacy Edition comes out mm-hmm. um, in 2004 and I've had this album for 10 years and yep. then suddenly all my freaking hipster mates are all like, oh my God, have you had Jeff Buckley? Right. And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I've had Jeff Buckley. Uh, like, yeah. since like before we started like high school, I've known Jeff Buckley. Um, and so I felt betrayed because they brought out the reissue of, and they've ad- they added songs and this and the other. Mm. And I was like, no, that's not mine. So yeah. Um, yeah. So then I was See, being the ultimate hipster in that I didn't want them to know about it. So you should, so, you should have been in Australia because hipsters got on board Jeff Buckley in Australia very early. So, yeah. So yeah, that, that Triple J audience was right on board right right from 1995. So you would have fit in right here. It would have been a bit awkward though if I was nine. Yeah, that's like, true. I'm off to Australia just because they like Jeff Buckley a bit more. Yeah. Um, Look, it would be dedication, that's for sure. Yeah, but um, by the time uh, MTV was around, I was watching that and stuff. Um, the some of the music videos were on, and that's when I realised that Jeff Buckley is actually an was an incredibly attractive man. He's like, very pretty. Yeah, mm-hmm. he had that kind of Hollywood cheekbone like uh wide smile yeah like beautiful and so when you look at the grace album cover you wouldn't know you'd think he was hiding something um but when you watch the music videos um of which i have watched them all the so real music video which i've watched the most um is him in a gray suit riding a bicycle um and then all these surreal things happen and then someone steals his bike and he's running and as he's running he's undressing and i'm like I'm having complicated feelings yeah. right now um, about this, about this incredibly beautiful man. Feelings. Yeah, uh-huh. right? Sure. Look at this hot guy taking his clothes off on a mu- on a song that I'm in love with. And I was just like, I just, this is too much. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Sure. So it's safe uh, to say. As I was doing the research, I found out that he didn't like the fact that he was so attractive. So he, yeah. felt, he felt like it put an extra level of pressure. So the record label and all the people that were around him just... Like if you look at the covers of the singles, it's always there's his face is always there. So they definitely sort of played into that part of it, but which he didn't really like. But I guess he didn't really have that much control over what photos they use for the covers of stuff. Sure. Not when you're in a three record deal, million dollar Columbia. Mm. Uh, like I guess they kind of Jeez, pull yeah. the pull the sh- call the shots a little bit. So yeah, yeah he, he is. Was it he who pays the papa calls the tune. Mm-hmm. There oh, there we you go. go. Well, which I feel like you should have brought that out quite a few times on this podcast. That's a good one. <laughs> um, yes, so um, yeah, so it's safe to say that I heard this record when I was younger and I held on to it. And there are certain songs that I have put on particular playlists over the t- over my years. And then um, my p- partner was talking about I played Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, and he was like, mm-hmm. "Oh." I- oh, I don't like this. Yeah, um, it's a very different beast. Yeah, yeah. He was like, there's a version of that I really like. And I said, oh, is it Jeff Buckley? And I played him that. And he went, no, no, it's not that. And I was like, oh, is it Rufus Wainwright? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, because it was on the Shrek album and I was like like, okay well Rufus Wainwright knew (laughs) Jeff Buckley and actually did a tribute to him Um, but Rufus Wainwright did a piano version of 
Alleluia as well. Mm. You know, different style again, but um, it's, uh, and I'm sorry, Leonard, but I kind of like it when it's in tune. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> to, as I, you say, it's a different mm, feel. I'm interested in the idea of nine-year-old George who was into Tom yeah. Waits and Leonard Cohen. That's not the sort of stuff a nine-year-old should be listening to. There's a lot of stuff yeah. <laughs> nine-year-old me did that shouldn't have done. Yeah, I, well, I was listening to what you, I, I, I was. I had a friend with a record player and I went over there with uh, some kind of... I, I went over there with a Prefab Sprout album and a Black Sabbath album. And right. to me, that was normal. And sure. to her, it was not. Because yeah. it was like she had all this pop stuff like on vinyl and stuff that her family had, like or just cheesy pop. And I was like, Prefab Sprout they got on board with, but they did. she was like, what on earth is this to Black Sabbath? And I was like, oh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it was because my parents had vast, wide nets of music. I had brothers who were 10 years older than me who got me into gangster rap mm -hmm. um, and got me ground. In fact, they got grounded for getting me into NWA when I was four. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't understand the words. I just enjoyed the song. So anyway, young nine-year-old me was just pouring through, just like playing around with the different CDs. And I just picked up this one in particular and um, just went this this is for me so um which is why liam brought up the very important question of forget her mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. um was on the reissue um and has been used in multiple reissues legacy editions etc yeah but forget her it was not on my cd um when i was a kid and yeah. so it finished on dream brother number yeah. 10 but we can still talk about forget her because you've probably listened to it yeah, so it was track 11 on the Spotify list, and that's why I sort of asked, hey, and then I saw on the Wikipedia that track that was actually added in a posthumous release. So even before I think the um, the special editions and everything started coming out, this I think it was just added on to the standard editions of it after it came out, which leads to mm -hmm. an interesting conversation and probably a much bigger one about the idea of releasing stuff after somebody dies. Because with Forget Her... Uh, I was looking up some of the research and he basically came in, he had sort of like this very small idea for a song. He sat down with the guitar player, they nutted something out and they were even at the time, people around them were like, oh, we were getting this or we we're recording this because it's so good. It's such a great song. And they, they fleshed it out. They turned it into a full song and everyone around them in the record company was like, okay, this is great. This is like a single. You could put this like track two or three. It's going to be awesome. And he didn't like it. He did not like the song. He didn't think it fit in with the rest of the songs on the album. He thought it was too direct and too straightforward and almost like oh. too accusatory of the person who's he's talking yes. about. And so he Well, didn't... I think that's why. I think it was more about that, about who it was clearly about a particular person who yeah. would have been offended by that particular song. Yeah. So he doesn't like it. So he takes it, he cuts it out. And I read like the, the record label was like fuming. They were like, no, this could be great. And he's like, nope, this is my call and I'm leaving it out. And then he passes away and then the like, suddenly the song's on the album again. And it mm -hmm. just, it bugs me. Like, mm. I, I'm not a big fan of stuff that gets released posthumously in general. I do think that, like, if stuff, if a musician wanted to release stuff, obviously unexpected deaths can affect stuff like that. But if they sure. wanted people to hear it, they would have put it out there. They would have made it available to people. And it's, so often it's, like, family members and stuff that find more stuff. And they're like, hey, we're just going to share this around because it helps the legacy. But I just... It always just makes me feel a little icky that stuff's being released in their name that they didn't necessarily want out there. 
And then in terms of Forget Her specifically, it's like, no, no, he very clearly said, I don't want this on the album. Mm-hmm. And now it just is. And if you don't bother to go looking for it and finding out the stories behind it, you would just think, oh, yeah, he just liked this song and it's the way to close, it's the way to finish the album that he wanted to. But it's not how he wanted it and he no. wanted to keep so real on the album which is mm. good because that's one of my favorites which is awesome mm. and, it, and don't get me wrong forget her it is a beautiful song yeah, it is a, a cool bit more song. straightforward but it also has um the lyrics don't fool yourself she was heartache from the moment you met her my heart is frozen still as i try to find the will to forget her somehow mm. which are beautiful but you know this is a song that's incredibly personal it's incredibly direct and it's and mm. the whole a whole lyrical content is I am it might as well have been a letter written to a person mm. um that was put to music and if he didn't want that out there then again I wouldn't I wouldn't want to put that on there either I yeah. guess and especially sure. not as especially not as track 11 now mm. like um yeah the, which is um it threw me just because I think I've saved it as a playlist up to track 10 on my um my own spotify when i yeah. listen to it so um, it loops back I don't around properly my cd anymore yeah so um it so it, i actually had to put the effort into listening to forget her mm. because i was like oh yeah i should probably put some effort into that one um but quite rightly um i i don't believe it should be on the album mm. so because for some reason go. in my head i thought he did put out the second album in in i'd always had that feeling so what turned out to be so the album name is sketches for my sweetheart the drunk so his original album title was going to be My Sweetheart the Drunk and he hadn't finished it. So then when he'd passed, they put it out as like, this is the rough guide to what it would have been. It's not the actual finished album, but it's, you know, roughly what it would have been or could have been. But for some reason in my head, I always assumed that he did put that out and it was just like a less well-received second album. Not the case. But it wasn't. But no, we are a um, single album guy. Yeah. This is um, poor Jeff. One he album. Rec- he was recording it when he passed away. Um, he drowned in an accidental drowning when he was 30 years old. He was caught in the wake of a boat when he was out in Memphis recording. Um, but uh, for you, Grant, he was singing Whole Lot of Love at the time Mm -hmm. um, because he was such a massive Led Zeppelin fan Mm. and so he's out in the water singing that there was no drugs no alcohol nothing untoward anything like that he was just caught in the wake um, and they found his body and it was just an incredibly sad situation so like we've talked a lot about artists that have um, taken their lives or yeah. they have lost their lives due to addictions and stuff in the past but this was purely an accident and it was desperately sad because this guy has got some talent and it yeah. was just a real yeah it's just a real shame so and that talent ran in the in the family as well his father was a um, guitarist as well, or a his guitarist, yeah, he was like a, he was a bit of a Tim Buckley, yeah. He so weirdly, um, Tim Buckley, uh, I, I knew when I was about nine that they were related because listening to the way their vocal ranges were, I was like, oh, they're both called Buckley and um, they've got similar vocal ranges. And then I kind of just went to my mother, I was like, are they related? And she's like, of course they are. And I was mm. like, oh, okay, done. Um, but in reality, wow. he, nev- ne- he never met the man. No. Yeah. 
So he was brought up by a very musical family. So his mother and stepfather and grandparents, they were all musical. The The whole house he grew up in was full of instruments. So he was teaching himself guitar and other instruments and in jazz bands and all sorts like throughout school um and he was just fully immersed in the music scene um as a young man and growing up and everything like that but he never um he when his father died of um a a drug overdose um he wasn't even allowed to go to the funeral um so as a child that's when he found out that his name wasn't Scott Morehouse. Mm. He found his real birth certificate and found out that he was actually called Jeff Buckley. And so that he uh, took on the name Jeff Buckley um, and went to his real name after his father had died, mm. um, which was, it's just a really desperately sad situation, I think situation or um, that they never met, but his, um, Tim left his mother when she was pregnant by all accounts. And and no one even knew that Tim had a son either. Like he's, he was quite a well-known yeah. musician. So you would normally go, oh yeah. So if, if people had known that he had a child, you'd be like, oh, we, we can't wait to see what he comes up with when he grows up. But no one even knew he had a biological mm. son. And then suddenly there's just this guy who's like, yep, that was my dad. Yeah. Well, he was, he was invited to go. There was a tribute mm. to Tim. Um, and so Jeff had been playing um, in lots of like music venues and stuff, doing loads of covers in different styles um, for years. Um, and then there was a tribute to his father and no one had any idea who this guy was. Um, and he just came up and he was just like, you know, Jeff Buckley, um, he was my dad. I guess, and yeah. then uh, ended up doing. He did a song with Captain Beefheart, mm-hmm. uh, one uh, one of Tim's uh, biggest, like one of his more famous songs. And the whole audience was rapturous; they were just completely enthralled. Going, "Who's? I can't believe we didn't know that he existed." Yeah. Um, and then he came and did the finale, and then suddenly after that, when he went back to his old haunts of playing. Um, his music in uh, different um, like coffee houses and bars and stuff like that. He ended up with music execs lining up to come and hear him play and just to see if they could sign him Mm. because they were like, we didn't know you existed and you're really good. So we want a piece of that, please. Um, And it contributed to him getting, ending up on Columbia records, like just on a, three record deal that's just nuts so, mm. um but he yeah he never never knew the guy that he, whose name he got and and it's referenced in one of the songs so yeah which we'll get to which we've not we've not really got to the songs yet there's just so much to say yeah. about this. so so just not to, and not to dwell on his passing but did he go through the props that he, or did he just drown forgive me i'm not just being discounting it but did, did he drown or was he was he taken up he, on the back end of the boat or something? Did, he drowned. It? He drowned. He was an accident or drowning. He, I'd say he was swimming. And fully he clothed. Both. I already was fully clothed. And I'm like, yeah. what? So he was out you just know. having a swim, having a yeah. sing song. Like, to a great track, life, to a great to, band. To and a all great that, track, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, so he was out just enjoying himself. Um, one of his bandmates was there with mm. him, like watching, and, yeah. and then moved his stuff out of the way. And for the way, yeah. Stopped looking for a minute, and then when he turned back, because there was this tugboat coming bar- past, when he looked back, he was like, I can't hear him, I can't see him. And so he called the police straight away, and they were looking for him, looking for him, and then they found him downstream. Mm. 
So he just it, he just got caught in the wake. There was no nothing. It was just an accidental drowning. So it's a really sad passing of, uh, of quite an in, ingenious man. Mm. Yeah. So uh, Grant, you hadn't heard this. You hadn't heard him. Uh, no. you've, you've obviously done some of the research. This is very cool. So um, what was your first... Imp- <laughs> but, you know, I've brought many different things to this uh, podcast, many different genres. So what was your first impression or expectation of what this of this album when you first heard it? Look, I'll get a precursor through, uh, through iTunes, I suppose, when you start. And, you know, the words like iconic and timeless and serpentine riffs, etc., um, are all detailed on there. I know you guys listen to a different streaming service, um, <clears throat> but these, I suppose, what what struck me probably the most um, on the first few listens is just how very uh, good a musician or very good the band is or the group is as, as musicians. Wow, it's like, Ooh. and this is a debut album, or it's you know there was there was the. Um, Serpentine, or there was some sorry, Lava, it's somewhere else. It was an album of sorts released before, but um, I was just like on an album so much as I just looked at something and I can't see it now. Um, but yeah, musically, just really, really good. And I struggle to listen to Hallelujah without getting emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, Did you? I reckon I could listen to it a hundred times and, and, and it would still tug. Like, like just, it's a, it's a great, um, live, it's, it's Sine, is it 1993? I don't know what that was. Yeah. Exactly so. chronology. Sine, so. yeah, Sine, the venue. Um, but I think that was only like a little um, four track EP thing. So I don't think that was sure. like a full mm-hmm. album or anything. No, 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 this is it, yeah, certainly the, um, clearly documented as, as the only album, but um, I, I had a massive appreciation for Off The Cuff, their mu- musicianship, and, um, you know, then you look into the, the, his tragic passing, and you're like, man, and then you go, oh, further, that he wasn't actually drug-afflicted or had any substance habits, this was, as you mentioned, George, this was just an accident, and jeez, man, um, so, yeah. Great listen and um, and lovely to research, even if it is melancholic in that manner. I'm I'm struck by a similar stuff. Like I think it's, I I know I've definitely seen musicians play live and heard their albums where they've just got this amazing voice, and then they just sit on that. They're just like, "Yep, yeah, this is my amazing voice. I'm going to put together some bare bones instrumentation behind it, which I'm not going to worry about too much because all you're going to be focused on is my voice." But it doesn't yeah. take long with this album to realize, no, no, this is a guy who's an, an amazing singer, but also just an amazing guitar player, constructing amazing yeah. songs. He's like an amazing lyricist, just all the ticks all those boxes and definitely doesn't want to sit on just, hey, here's my cool voice that I can do really amazing things with. Like, no, no, I want you to know that I'm a great guitar player and a great musician as well. And he knew how to pick the right people around him yeah. too. So when he was picking his band or and everything for the album, it was people he played with, people he knew, people he could riff off. Mm-hmm. And he even has, so for the riffs that I love so desperately in Mojo Pin track one and in Grace track two, you know, Grace that kicked me right in the kahunis. Um, that one, that um, Gary Lucas came up with the riffs that really caught those tracks. And in the liner notes, it's reter- he's referred to as magical guitarness. Yep. <laughs> so like, like he just so Jeff just acknowledges that he is just 
very important to this album like without and and in so many of the interviews um he calls out the other member the other guitarist or the organist or someone who is said i couldn't have i couldn't have made so real without michael tyke you know mm-hmm. he's like i couldn't the album wouldn't exist without him and would and would just genuinely say i w- would go into the studio and uh gary had uh had played with a riff and then we turned it into something and like it wouldn't it wouldn't exist without him so mm-hmm. uh it's just then he knew how to i think he might be a debut album but he was a well-versed performer yes exactly yes it, it doesn't sound like a debut album like yeah, this is mm. not guys learning Yes. And those guys even get like songwriting, literally songwriting credits on the songs that they contributed, like presumably didn't just do the stuff that he told them to, but came up with their own pieces and added those layers to it. They get like songwriting credit as well, which can be an unusual thing often like that, that songwriting credit because obviously it's credit, but it's also there's finances tied to that sort of stuff as well. And a lot of people hold on to it very dearly and hold on to it very tightly. Whereas, yeah, I think he was just like, no, you you helped me write this song. This is a, a co-written song between the two of us. True musician, like mm. yeah, true blue. So uh, yeah, they were credited, and there's also a lot of different producers and mixers and stuff that on this record uh, that pulls it all together. And um, Jeff did some of that himself, um, but he relied on people that knew their shit to bring this together into yeah. the album and he would he would go and repeat recordings again and again um to make sure they were right and mm-hmm. um, if you have watched his videos of him live you'll know that his vocal range and guitar playing is just as immaculate in a live setting as it is on record mm-hmm. there's yeah there's the none studio. of this you know, like um, sometimes you hear a record and you're like, "Oh, it's amazing," but they they can never reproduce that live. Yeah. Well, they they just do. Mm. Um, they just they know how to. And his vocal range is just as immaculate. He's just perfect pitch on, but doesn't, as you say, lean on it as being the only part of the song yeah. that you want to listen to. You've got mm. so much going on. So because he didn't he didn't really like the idea of recording at all. So I found I found a quote. The nature of recording is exhausting. It's obsessive because you're dealing with ultimate things. It's not like a live show where you play it and it just disappears into the air like smoke. It's like painting. It's sound painting. It's in a crystallized form, so it's very nerve-wracking. Which brain cell do I put down here forever and ever? So yeah, just this, nice. this idea of like, this is the version. And, all, and I guess how that reflects back onto your live versions as well is like, no, no, now I'm just playing... Instead of creating something on stage, I'm actually playing a version of this thing that most people will know of from a recording as well. So, yeah, I like that idea of not just not wanting to say this is the version of a song. So, Liam, talking about emotions, you tweeted <laughs> yes. this week. I had, a little, I had a little cry. I had multiple cries this week. On this yeah. album? On this Related album. On, this. On, on Hallelujah, to be honest. Most of the yeah, time. Oh, Jesus, hot, Hallelujah. Um, Why just, do you reckon it tugs so much, bro? So I think the I'm, I'm interested because it freaking it's hard. Like I struggle not to cry on this yeah. song. It's nearly it it's nearly seven minutes long. That song. Yeah. You know that's set, like a six minutes fifty three for uh, and you are both like man. I'm tearing up. I'm tearing up. I'm giving yeah. a cry to that song. The riffs are beautiful. They're I guess they're sort of not empty, but they're hollow. They're, there's there's a space that they create when you when he when it, they sort of drift over, and. I think part of it, like you just instantly think like it's 
hallelujah it's that idea of like it's almost like a spiritual and a faith term and a phrase even if the song isn't necessarily that as tied to it and then that idea that like that he isn't around anymore so i think that that emotion just leads straight into that as well and then also for me there's a big thing of um like it's been used on so many tv shows so i've got i've got a short list here of the shows that it's been used on, which is the <laughs> oh, uh, shortlist, yeah. The West Wing, Crossing Jordan, Without a Trace, The OC, House, Dirt, Criminal Minds, ER, Third Watch, Ugly Betty, LAX, NCIS, Justica, Longmire, and Sensei. So that's just the TV shows alone. And I led that off with The West Wing because that's where I remember it from as well. And it's used on a re- at a really sad moment in The West Wing as well. So I think it combines of like where somebody gets killed. So it sort of combines with my memory of that and my memory knowing that he's not around anymore and then just the beautiful achingness of it is really, it all just combines together. Well, I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord but you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this The fourth, the fifth The minor fall and the major lift The baffled king composing Wonderful. That's a very beautiful way of putting it. So, um, the lyrically, it is related to two different stories in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, it's about um, David, the young boy, who was the only person who could calm um, King Saul by playing a secret chord on the harp. And he would play the harp, and so he Saul took him in, and David eventually became the king. So then, when he became the king, he saw a woman called Bathsheba who was bathing naked, um, and he brought her. He was infatuated, and he brought her to him. And then, in because it would have been adultery, he had um, her husband. Uriah sent out into battle and he gave the orders that he was to be at the front and no one was to support him as in he had to die in battle so that he could marry Bathsheba um so that was like the early part of the song is about that story in the bible um and then it moves on to the Samson and Delilah about the throne and cutting the hair because she was Mm. a Philistine and she was sent to chop she was sent to find out his secret of his strength um, as the I, I can't remember what his, his as the judge of the time, and he was holding back the Philistines, and so um, she seduced him, found out that his strength was in his hair. So as he slept, um, he cut her his hair, and he lost all of his strength, so the Philistines could take over. So Leonard Cohen was talking about these different like um, women that were. Um, provocative or they were very desperately important in mm. bible stories the and them both together. exactly so they and you know not a lot of women are actually named in the bible they are known as someone's wife and mm. that's it yeah. so um 
for them so like it's it was like really important so um when leonard cohen wrote the song he pulled out some really interesting stories and put those together of women who are known to be incredibly strong in the bible stories that they come from or Mm. or from history that they come from so um it's got that kind of connection so like uh, that i've learned about as well um and uh, like from my perspective strong women Mm-hmm. pretty happy about that yeah. um but but the song i knew i knew leonard cohen so as i said i felt like i was cheating on him but i have no regrets about listening to alleluia on, on repeat mm. because it's it's epic and i'm sure people don't need people who don't know of jeff buckley have heard that song before yeah. somehow. As I jeff buckley no, didn't yeah. know the leonard cohen version he hadn't no, heard, he, he hadn't heard it he was covering the John Cale version. John Cale, yeah. yeah. So that that blows my mind as well. I was assumed it was just covering the Leonard Cohen version, but um, his version has gone to has charted quite well. It, it didn't do that well at the time when it came out, like when the album yeah. came out. But over time, sort of people have fallen in love with it, and a couple of times it's been covered on like The Voice and American Idol and those sorts of things. And then as soon as that happens, it peaks in the charts again. Like enough people just yeah. listen to it and go, "Oh my god, that song." And then they go and find it again and they go and buy it. So it's definitely one of those songs where, so, you know, you hear buskers occasionally play it. You hear a few live bands sort of cover it and that sort of stuff. Um, none of them should. No one should ever cover this song. <laughs> ever again. Like just, this is it. You can't, you can't, you can't improve on it. Like put a line through that and you can't match it. So all you can hope to do is an imitation or Be a poorer poor version imitation. of it. So I would just yeah, go, sure. look, just don't. Just it's over. you can't you can't it's rework tough. it. You can't bring a new level of meaning to it. There's so many things all the way through it as well where he, like, just the tiniest little inflections of his voice change, and it makes it from like it's a sad lyric to an angry lyric. Like, yeah, yeah. it's just as I said at the end there, it's like he's almost spitting it. Yeah, and and I'm like, yes, this brew, and he's still singing it so well, mm. and yet it, you say the inflections of the cha- or the tone changes in tone. However slight, I'm like, you, you want to tug my strings? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, cool. So I'm couple bringing more you an album that. to make your cry. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's been inducted into the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry. So that happened back in 2014. And when the Rolling Stone originally reviewed the album, uh, the critic wrote, Young Buckley's vocals don't always stand up. He doesn't sound battered or desperate enough to carry off Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. So yeah, <laughs> time that that line and didn't yet, age well. No, no, because they they have been. It's been classed as uh, one of the essential records of the nineties, yeah. and it's um, number three hundred four in Rolling Stone's top five hundred albums of all time. Mm. So you yeah, know, there's more than five hundred albums out there, yeah. um, and uh, he's charted in there. So yeah, that that's not a good review. Um, he's been it was reviewed. Um, very highly in over eight UK magazines, um, and it was also in Pitchfork and the the Guardian have it at um, alternative albums ever number fifteen and mm. a thousand albums before you die. Um, there's very NME have said like twenty three uh, out of an international poll of 40,000 people choosing their top 100 albums. And that was in 2006. And then, um, importantly, um, Paige of Led Zeppelin said it was Mm -hmm. uh, one of the best albums of the decade. And David Bowie says that it is in his top 10 Desert Island discs. Mm. 
of all albums. But I don't so think it, it did, been, even critically, I don't think it did that well when it came out, though, mm-hmm. because it wouldn't have sounded like it wasn't grungy enough to be grunge and it wasn't poppy enough to be pop. And it, yeah, it probably it had its own very niche mm-hmm. sound. So I, I don't think it did, like it definitely didn't chart that well when it came out or... It's definitely I don't a think, slow burn. Yeah, I think a lot of people came around to it over time. And yeah, now it's on everybody's you know top 10, top 20 list and everything. But at the time, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So that, that Rolling Stone line, I don't think it was necessarily like a standout one. Like I think there might have been a few people that were like, uh, who's this guy and why is he wailing so much? So on an album of 10 songs, uh, he's done three covers. Yes. Uh, which is interesting. So um, Lilac Wine... I already knew because I had The Wild is the Wind album by Nina Simone. Mm -hmm. So she didn't write it. James Shelton wrote it. And like Etta James and a whole bunch of million other people have covered that song. Um, But he has said specifically he heard the Nina Nina album uh, version and and he said that's the only version. Yeah. So um, nice. when he wanted to cover Lilac Wine and just all about getting kind of like drunk and feeling close to somebody and being all sweet and in mm. love, it's such a kind of, and it just, and it just sounds like a Nina song, but mm. he doesn't ruin it. No. Like it's, it would have been too easily for a 20 something white boy to cover a, a song well known to be a Nina Simone song and to completely destroy it for yeah. everyone mm. um but again so when this was another moment where i was like i felt like i was cheating on nina a little <laughs> bit because i was i knew the wild is the wind album so when i heard lilac wine i was like oh this is nina but how can he i was like how can he sing grace in one way mm. and then how can you sing lilac wine in another way and then alleluia in another way and i just it was like mind blowing for my little brain to that he could have the range and that kind of like vocal, um, just like the different timbre that he brings and stuff. And, and he does get grungy in one of the songs. Um, and I guess if he had a whole, if he had a whole um, album of eternal life in, in 94, then yeah. I think it would have sold really well. Yeah, but totally. It would have been Soundgarden. <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah, and Chris Cornell was in charge yeah. of the reissues of well, his albums right. and stuff. Like, cause he was such a massive fan. He's written songs about him and stuff. But mm. in Eternal Life, that I, was, I thought Grant might enjoy this because this was his big Led Zeppelin influence song. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a great track. Double ticks. Double ticks. So yeah, there definitely more well, grungy and sort of punchy. And it's got a really cool lyric. just super timeless and probably even more prophetic now than it was back then so true well there's a a quote which i I won't i'll just kind of hybrid um but there's a quote where he said basically the song's about life's too short to be ruining each other's lives based on income color class religion etc 
Yeah, <laughs> it's just totally. like, and it's like, yeah, it's true. It's just like being above all light and just saying it's just we don't have to be doing that. What's the what's the fucking point? So, mm. um, yeah, because it's the like it's a grunt like you've got Corpus Christi Carol, which I'm very interested to hear what you thought of that because I was like. Do I bring this album? Um, so, uh, yeah, so we go from Corpus Christi Carol, which is like a traditional poem, and then he's used the um, Benjamin Britten like, version of it, um, which is just angelic singing over a simple guitar. Um, and then it goes into Eternal Life, which is just a grungy, uh, we, I love Led Zeppelin kind of song. So, um, Well, that- and... For mine, sorry, I <clears throat> would place money on it that if the, the Peppers hadn't heard it, if you compare the introduction to Can't Stop by the Peppers, that is exactly the opening um, mm-hmm. line yeah, or baseline of Eternal Life. Mm. Ah, Put money yeah. on it. Nice. Have Put a listen. In. Please, for all of you guys that list, that are listening for the the podcast listeners have a go or I, I, as I listened to it, I was like, Hey man, Peppers, what are you doing to me? <laughs> um, or does Jeff, does, is Jeff getting credits for this? Mm. So anyway, there you go. H- have a listen. Can't stop Peppers single. Oh, I don't know. A couple of years ago. So, um, but yes, great tracks at the internal life. Yeah, I think a few people have like lifted bits of this album and just, in fact, um, mm. Coldplay, Coldplay have said before they wrote um, a, dedic- a song in dedication to Jeff Buckley and um, what's the singer dude, Chris? Chris, yeah. Yep. Chris? Chris Martin. Yep. He, uh, he basically said, I just ripped off Jeff Buckley to dedicate to Jeff Buck- Buckley. <laughs> so, well, um, that's Which cool. is like fair enough. So there are bands like... Massive Attack, uh, Chris Cornell, Coldplay, Rufus Wainwright, Gina Hatfield, Lionel Del Rey, Mark Kozak, Badly Drawn Boy, loads more have all written songs about Jeff Buckley and about the creation of this record. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, th- this this person who released one album has had, like, countless people write songs about him because they think it's so... think They think it's so important, so which I would agree with, obviously, because mm. I brought it here. Um, so can I bring up a particular song? Yeah, do it. Uh, so I really, before Hallelujah, there is a song called So Real. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And this is my um, ultimate unrequited or absolutely obsessed with you dedicated crush song on another human being. Um it's my holy fuck if I need to focus on another person in a hypersexualized way. It is incredibly very much this song. Cool. Um, so it go. has got, it's just, um, I, uh, man, the way the guitars are strummed and play off each other mm. in this, yeah. with that rich bass line pushing it through with the drums underneath. And then the chorus, when he pushes with the, oh, this is so real, like that just kills me every time because I think to myself, because I'm hyper-emotional. So if I think about moments that I've been um, very connected to another human, then that's the most real I've ever felt, you know? So, like, lyrically and the way he Mm -hmm. performs it, that's just... 
it kicks me in the face every yeah. time. So, um, and then it goes really messy. Yeah. For like twenty seconds, like it's really so it's like. It devolves into this like a psych rock swirling and grungy, crunchy sort of stuff. It's just and then it just stops. on the album that doesn't flow all the way through like it really is jagged and it stops and it does different things mm. um, and you talked about the guitars it's, he's plucking an acoustic chord but it almost uses that as a rhythm and then the bass plays more of the melody side so normally obviously your bass gives you your, a bit more of a is thought of as the rhythm side but this one yeah the bass play feels like it's playing more of the melody than the acoustic chords which are, are much more straightforward yes and it just works incredibly yeah. well. So and so even that, um, like, devolving into mess, sounds exactly like it should do. Mm. So oh, it's, like it, sure. it's it's not like a oh messy. Why? What did you do that for? It's like you're going through all these emotions about another human being, about something. It's so it's too much. It's too much. It's too much. Yeah. <gasps> and then he drops down to whispering at you and oh man in the like um some of the live videos where he just then rocks up and starts whispering into the microphone oh, again it's the complicated feelings mm. <laughs> they definitely complicated come out. feelings that's the quote just, of this of this episode that's for they sure they do they just come I out and they're like oh. your subtitle for this <laughs> Liam when it's produced is George, George has, has complicated had complicated feelings, feelings <laughs> yeah. for well, Jeff. I do. Well, it's not for Jeff. It's for like, if I have a crush on a on a person, this is the song I would go to to immerse myself in that crush. Mm -hmm. Like this is so when I have when I feel this and there's there's been people in my past that if I sometimes when I listen to this song I'll suddenly remember them and go. <gasps> And then every feeling I ever had for that person will just come back up right away. And I'm like, oh, put it away, put it away. I don't want those feelings. So, uh, yeah, it's um, I had to bring that up as being a really incredibly beautiful song, but also one that hits me in the feels um, in a really com complicated way. Yeah. Um, yes. So, um, which, thank you for which, sharing. It's great. That's fine. Um, which songs do you want to uh, discuss? Because we've discussed a lot about so much around the album as well. But mm. um, there's, I, I've written so many lyrics that I we don't have time for. Yeah. So, um, which is fine. So, Liam, is there a song? Well, let, let's go back to the beginning and talk about Mojo Pin. So mm -hmm. my experience of Jeff Buckley is mostly Grace and Last Goodbye. And like I said, I knew yeah. So Real and Love You Should Have Come Over. So I've got a bit of a feel for what Buckley does. And I'm listening to Mojo Pin. 
I'm like, okay, this is, you know, it starts out soft and it's <laughs> swaying. And I'm like, okay, this is just, like, it's, it's a good Jeff Buckley song. It's just another Jeff Buckley song. There's nothing really special about it standing out from the others. And then suddenly in the chorus, it just kicks into that thrashing, punching <laughs> riff and drums. And then there's like these jagged edges and then it just fades away again and then it comes back again and there's all these tempo changes all through the song so you're instantly getting this idea of this master at work like almost conducting a chorus of people like bringing in stuff and then taking it away and bringing it up really fast and at the end there's just like a that sort of slow build as well which the the mess hall did something similar in our last episode and Mm-hmm. You know, you get that idea right from the start that he's not just a heavenly voice. Like it's a no. it's really well done song construction all the way through. So yeah, I was I was blown away right from the first song, which was also one of the few ones that I hadn't heard before. It it, it just builds, to be honest, and, mm. and I didn't I hadn't heard any of this. So you know, I, I probably felt, to be honest, having heard, I, I probably preferred Mojo Pin, having never heard Grace or Last Goodbye. You know, save for Hallelujah. I'm going coming in totally blind. I'm going, jeez, bro. This is an absolutely, you know, fantastic opening, um, and again, com- accomplished, um, super co- comfortable musicians in in what they want to offer and what they what they what they're delivering. I suppose. Hmm. I'm enjoying both of these responses. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to add that um, I've listened to so many songs in my life where I am really well represented in it um, in pop culture and everything else Uh, and what I mean by that is this entire song is literally based around being obsessed and in love with um, a black woman and he makes no holds about it it is all about the memories and love of a woman who is black and makes and that is how he opens the album and I was thinking like so many like pop songs or so many songs I talk about talk about the you're having super pale skin or you know soft blue eyes and you know your long blonde hair and all that kind of stuff when it comes to having a love song written about you um but outside of black culture there's not many songs where it's like I'm in love with a woman who is black and it was just um, I I'd never really noticed it until I was doing research into the song and went oh that make that's that's un- that uh, it really dawned on me that that was unusual mm. for a for yeah. a song on a pop record so um, that's the, the, my my contribution to Mojo Pin was um, it was way ahead of a lot of people's times I think um, so bearing in mind this came out in '94 I think it's just sure. it's yeah, it's just it was just interesting, and I suddenly thought, you know, there's people who would go, I identify with this, and I am in the '90s, and I'm listening to alternative pop rock music, and go, finally, I'm represented. So um, that was something that I thought was an excellent intro for an album. That's that's mm, that's me. Yeah, so, I thought it was a great opener. So other songs, any anything for you, Liam? 
Um, and probably the other one I did want to touch on is Dream Brother at the end. Um, it's got mm-hmm. that beautifully sparse opening. Um, it's almost Doors-esque. I didn't know, Grant, if you sort of picked up on that. It's like quite um, sparse. And then there's almost some bongo-style drums in there, a bit of stream of consciousness lyrics as well. And then something happens that I really like. Where there's I like this, it. There's it's this like music- stream of consciousness lyrics. I mm. like it. There's a Good music word. break. Description. There's a music break halfway through, where you suddenly get like these awesome guitar riffs, and there's a little, and then there's a little mini guitar solo on top of that, and a little drum fill, and then like this jagged bass line that gets brought right up in the mix and then brought down again. And so it was really reminiscent for me of like, you know how you when a band plays a gig sometimes and they've got like a big epic closing number. And they'll sort of go around and introduce the band members in mid-song and each band member will play a little thing on their instrument and everyone goes, yeah. So it felt like that. Like it's the last song of the album. It's these amazing musicians. Great song. And he's just like, hey, why don't we just bring the drums up for a second and like show us what you can do and bring the bass up for a second. And I don't know if it's deliberate, but it felt like it was that music break in the middle of the last song right before you, you finish off the end of it. And it felt like a really cool little way to sort of sign off. And it has some lyrics in it which are poignant as well and those lyrics are in reference to him desperately urging a friend of his who was on like a downward self-destructive spiral desperately urging him not to walk out on his pregnant girlfriend in the way that tim did yeah and he called that guy and said i've just written a song about you man and um about self-destruction but then he went i felt like a hypocrite because that night you know i went into chaos on taking too much weed so yeah. i felt like a hypocrite in one way but um that song was literally about urging a friend to not walk out on him like his own dad did so mm. it had so it do you know if that ha- do, you, do you know any more about that did he did the, did the friend stay or go i don't i didn't that would be a great outcome for for the fans yeah for the fans yeah if <laughs> for anyone who knows that would yeah, be awesome that would be super cool um, yes. If anyone knows any more about that, or, or has, has other ways to research it, because wow, um, it'd be interesting. It'd be you know you're, you're hopeful that that did, it would have had an effect, I suppose. And you know that kid's now what twenty something, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven years old. Mm. If if the oh, um, if the pops that. sit around and yeah, <laughs> well, look, that's the story. Don't carbon date me like that. That's not fair. <laughs> um, Goodness me. Oh, I just, yeah. um, ha, like, Grant, did you have songs before I had to, I need to talk about the last goodbye, but, um, yes, did you have something you wanted to say? From, from Hallelujah into, into Love You Should Have Come Over, I think it's, it's a great sort of, um, transition in there and, it, and it, you really sort of feel the groove from there. I mean, it, it's, it's difficult to, where do you go from Hallelujah? Like, and the way that he does it, like, let's be mm-hmm. clear, like, it's not just, um, and we've spoken about that um, already, but I, I think I think certainly that that going from um, even so real into into and lilac lines is a, is a cover, of course. But hallelujah into into um, love you should come over. And I'm, I'm intrigued. I suppose I, I, in '94 I was 15, turning 16, 
Um, this didn't really make it um, as far as I'm aware. I'm not even sure there would have been a chart to reflect it uh, <laughs> in South Africa, if I'm honest. Uh, and I get corrected all the time. So again, if anyone wants to you know, say, Grant, you're full of shit, that's fine too. Um, but yeah, uh, I really thought that part of the album was really great. Mm. You, were, you wanted to go back to yeah, Last we're, Goodbye. We're running, we're running no. Track three. Here, so let's go to Running pretty long, goodbye. but I just have to quickly say that in that song, he says, maybe I'm too young to keep good love from going wrong, but tonight you're on my mind, so you'll never know. It's just mm. really beautiful. Like, And the thing is, and why I wanted to go, it's actually a good segue, is because um, in his love songs where things have gone wrong, he's the one that owns it. Yeah. So Love You Should Have Come Over is all about him mm. um, doing the damage that he's done and going, you know, he wishes she'd come over, but he misses, like, he would have, what, my kingdom for a kiss upon her shoulder, but, like, he knows that he did something wrong and that's why she's not coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why Last Goodbye is probably one of the nicest breakup songs I think I've ever heard. Um, so, with again, with the intro of the bass line and the strumming of the guitars, it's you wouldn't expect the sentiment that was going to come. So it is that lost love, but with the self-reflection on his failure. And he's when he sings, kiss me, please kiss me out of desire, not out of consolation. Like, I just, it's such an emotional, raw thing. And um, Liam and I know someone who used to have a blog about dating called Please Kiss Me Out of Desire. Um, who I won't name, but uh, um, they had that blog and I was like, oh yeah, that's where it came from. Um, But he says he knows that he'll only make her cry eventually. Mm. So he knows that he is the problem. And this has been, in again, in movies. Scarlett Johansson covered it for, I think he's not that into you or some other other movie. Um, And so I was just like wondering, like that one came in, to like number three of triple j's top 100 of 20 years and Mm -hmm. stuff like that but that song to me is like him he is completely he's not self-deprecating all the time but in in a love song he that's gone wrong he's owning the responsibility of it going wrong Mm -hmm. and as you say like it's just the songs themselves are constructed beautifully so there we go so i had to i had to bring that one up Cool. Whew. Good morning. Can I also <laughs> go. can I also point out that because I knew we were doing this song, this album, I lit a sin- lit a scented candle and poured myself a glass of red. Right. <laughs> it was good mood. it felt like a rem- a romantic mood. So yeah, it's all good. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh so I guess George, final pitch. Okay, final pitch. So final uh pitch. It's It was a slow burn record that I latched onto without knowing I was a hipster when I was nine years old. Um, it has three covers um, that I actually think are really well done covers. Um, having been a choir girl, the Corpus Christi Carol was actually a really beautiful like exploration of his voice. Um, musically, it's just impeccable. Um, live and uh to record even though he didn't want to commit it to record it's influenced so many people he as an individual has influenced so many people um but that shouldn't just be the reason why it's a flawless record um it's flawless because you can start this album and play it through 
and move on a journey that Jeff has designed for you. And that is a perfect journey from start to finish, from Mojo Pin all the way through to Dream Brother. Um, And obviously we touched on Forget Her, but if you want to have that as an extra, why not? Um, So I think every song is so well constructed and so well thought out the lyrics are desperately beautiful all of them sit as poetry and um i can pull certain tracks out and turn them into just i need a big cry or i need a big emotion right now um and that works and since i made two big boys cry (laughs) by making you listen to this album um i'm hopefully i'll have uh, done some something similar for you so my that's why i am saying jeff buckley here is had made a flawless record with grace so mr grant would you like to share with me and the class uh how what you thought of jeff buckley grace having never heard it before never heard before um i don't i didn't specifically be clear i didn't cry this one for hallelujah, but I was very much worked up. It's hard. Uh, um, I'm, I'm, I suppose, new to the job, but um, me listening randomly to songs and weeping in a new town, etc., wouldn't necessarily be the best <laughs> thing for me. But certainly, flipping well tugged at the heartstrings multiple times. Um, great, great musicianship. Wonderful lyrics. Loved the album um, until. For mine, I'm going to say no. So let's rip the bandit off. I'm going to say no for the following reasons or the following reason. I was all the way there going through to obviously Hallelujah. Um, Love You Should Have Come Over. Even Corpus Christ Carol, I was cool enough with from a flow perspective. And flow, as you know, for me is a big thing. And then... I felt like I was with that introduction that I've referenced from a new age band or band that certainly was around the, in the nineties. Um, the, the eternal life for going from Corpus Christ Carol to eternal life and then dream brother, which are fantastic tracks as well. I didn't dig. Right. And, and I, th- I thought, jeez, bro, if you'd taken me on the journey and continued along a Corpus Christ Carol and 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 been, I suppose, less intense, I'm like, wow, where the flip does eternal life come from? Like, how, like you've gone from this, this, you know, hallelujah into love you should come over, Corpus Christ Carol, and now, you get, and now, woof, and then a great closer um, in Dream Brother, I'll, I'm like. You frustrated me a bit, buddy. Um, and <laughs> and maybe that was within, I mean, obviously it was with intent in terms of track listings and song selections, etc. But I, I, if, if it had taken a different avenue or continued down the same avenue of track six, seven, and eight, as opposed to bringing in uh, Eternal Life and Dream Brother, I would have said yes, um, absolutely, but great to listen to. And wonderful to research, and certainly a massive, massive talent lost to the music industry um, and for us in general. 
which probably is added to you know the the relevance, I suppose, of the album and and the mystique around the album, um, and the fact that you know you referenced two two years later, or sorry, ten years later, you know it's charting again, or Hallelujah's charting in two thousand and eight or whatever it was. But um, I'm going to have to say no today. But thank you very much, George, for bringing it. That's okay. Thank you for your feedback. It sure. was constructive, but also awesome. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Liam, Hello. it is now your turn, as is tradition. As is tradition. Um, so, yeah. So, I'm, I've got all my notes written out here. So, hopefully, this doesn't sound too much like I'm reading it. But it is a stunning album. It never rests on its sizable laurels. So, it, he, you feel like he knows he's making an amazing album. Um, he's got this amazing voice. It's, all the songs are beautifully constructed. The instrumental parts play their part perfectly, each of them. The songs are long. Like these are four, yeah. five, six minute songs, but they never feel like, they don't feel like epics, but they also don't feel like they're too long. Like there's too much of it happening, which is just an amazing effect. I have no idea how you do it, but um, so it's sad and it's lonely and it's distraught, but I don't think it's ever hopeless, which is like a really narrow wire to walk as well. So I think it's- Yes, you've got good at this, Liam. So I think it's definitely earned its iconic reputation. Uh, but there's the dreaded but I had I had a bit of an issue when I was listening to it the first time not knowing anything about it and something was just bugging me about it and I wasn't quite sure what it was it just didn't feel like the something was just a little off and that's why I even asked George about whether you wanted the 11 song or the 10 song because I thought maybe if it was yeah. a 10 song it would work a little better I think it felt like he was trying to do too much so and I, it's in a sad and kind of ironic way that it almost felt like he was like, I've got to put everything that I can do into this one album because I might not get a second, which is really sad and poignant, but it just felt like there was too much for it. And so then I'm doing the research and I found out that he had seven, he had his seven songs and he didn't feel like that was enough on its own to make an album. So that's when he went back to his catalog of the covers that he'd done. And that's when he picked the three covers that he did. And I just don't agree. I think the seven songs or seven songs and one cover would have been fine. But I think once you start throwing in other stuff, I think it gets too gets to be too much. The variety in it is just too wide out. So I think it's crazy this idea that he couldn't have just put out like a seven song album or his seven songs and Hallelujah is the last song. Because the other thing that drags on me is after Hallelujah, I don't I don't want to listen to anything else. I'm like I'm just exhausted. I'm spent emotionally. I don't. I'm like, yeah, sure. I don't understand. Like, "Love You Should Come Over" is a great song, but it almost suffers from being like the one that happens right after "Hallelujah." So I just think, strip out Corpus Christi Carol, which I don't love. Strip out Lilac One, which I do yeah. love. Make them both B sides or live specials or whatever, and then move "Hallelujah" to the end, and you have seven songs and "Hallelujah," and that would be 100% flawless. But I think with the extra yeah. stuff thrown in there, it just becomes a bit too much for me. So I didn't think it was false. It was amazing. And even with its iconic reputation, I kind of went and going, there's no way it can be as good as people think it is or say it is. And it absolutely is. And if anything, it's better. <laughs> but I don't think it was flawless. <laughs> That's fair. Thank you very much. Well, robust feedback. He does, he does write such good feedback, doesn't he? I know. Uh, he's I know, getting I know. better. He's a prick. If I say no, I always want to make sure I've got a good concrete reason to say no because otherwise it just feels like I'm just saying no for the sake of it no sure. so pe people don't give you shit on the internet that's well, why the two of yeah. you the two of you are the only two that give me shit on the internet so yeah, oh. fair enough. <laughs> sometimes i'll give you shit in your home yeah that's, that's true awesome okay well i did not get 
Jeff Buckley, Grace, over the line. And honestly, I wasn't expecting to, which is, I, but I did really, really enjoy discussing one of my favourite albums with you guys. This has been epic. Awesome. So thank you very much. And thank you for your feedback on the different tracks. Speaking so, of, just before uh, we finish, speaking of In Your Home, this will hopefully be our last episode recorded in our homes. This is true. We're going to go back into looking each other in the eye mm-hmm. as we criticise our choices <laughs> to our faces. Might not be fun. So, um, uh, hopefully people haven't found it too disjointed having us all being having to sync up. I, I know from my end it definitely hasn't quite synced up perfectly. So hopefully from now on it'll be bit smoother but uh thank you to everyone who stuck around and also thank you to you if you mm. stuck around this extra long episode because we're now at a minute 10 and i haven't added any music in yet so it'll it'll, yeah. geez, it'll be a long one so thank you for sticking around we think it was well worth having a chat about uh you know an iconic album like this one awesome thank you so much uh so uh we must have thank the really important people which is those people listening to flawless a music podcast we have the social medias facebook twitter and instagram flawless amp on all of those so join in chat um also we have facebook family and friends so you can come and have a good chat on there too uh, the link to that will be in the notes to this show so share things around and get more music lovers to come and listen to flawless so as mentioned we have patreon at patreon.com slash flawless amp so come and listen to us chat on mini episodes about other interesting things singles etc so check it out thank you for listening and we will see you next time <laughs>